Welcome to episode 16 of the Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. In this episode, Dr. Molly Estes interviews Dr. Melissa Myers on what it means to be a military physician, including her various deployments, and how the unpredictability of her career path so far has led to many exciting opportunities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Wisdom Podcast. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And today I'm very pleased to introduce to you Dr. Melissa Myers. Melissa, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me to be here. So something that is really, really phenomenal about Dr. Myers is that she actually serves in our armed forces for the United States and to you and to absolutely everyone else out there who either has served or is currently in the service, I just want to first and foremost say sincerely thank you. Uh, I have multiple family members who have served in various branches and it is really a sacrifice and something that I don't take lightly. So from the bottom of my heart and from many of our listeners, sincerely thank you for your service. Thank you. But the support is always appreciated. Um, I do need to put a disclaimer up front because I am a member of the armed services. Any views that I express here are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Army Medical Center, the U.S. Army Medical Department, the U.S. Army Office of the Surgeon General, the Department of the Army, the Department of the Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. They're purely my personal opinions duly noted and completely understand the need for that statement. So with all of that being said, what led you to join um, the armed services in the first place? Yeah, so it all goes back. Uh, my grandfather was in the military. He served in the U.S. Army until he retired out of the Pentagon, and then my dad served in the Navy. So growing up, I was always interested in being a member of the military. I had kind of put that dream a little bit to one side. When I was 13, I had cancer, and so my left leg is mostly reconstructed. And I had thought that physically I'd be unable to serve, but I was still interested. And so when I got into medical school, I got a call from a recruiter for uh, the health profession scholarship program, which is like a scholarship for medical school and was able to get a waiver to, to join that program. And so through that route was able to serve, which has been really exciting. And I'm glad that I was able to take that route. Being a cancer survivor, first of all, I had no idea you went through that. We've interacted with each other in so many different ways before, and I had no idea. How did that affect your perspective of deciding to go into a career in medicine? It's the reason I went into medicine. Um, I actually, I had cancer when I was 13. I was treated at John Hopkins University. They did a great job at a relatively new surgery, experimental surgery at the time. So instead of a below the knee amputation, I have basically a bunch of metal plates where my tibia used to be, but I still have full function of the leg. That was great. Went through that, went off to college. I wanted to be an Egyptologist. I was dead set on it. Like I had a whole plan. I was going to get a four-year degree in history and a PhD at the University of Chicago. I made it like six weeks into the first semester when I realized that I was not going to be Indiana Jones. I was going to be like teaching history in a university setting. I definitely wanted to be Indiana Jones when I was a kid too, like so much. So who's your favorite Egyptian God? Like that's now the best question. Well, it's a tie. It's going to be Isis or Horus, but they're both really cool. (laughs) Awesome. I totally derailed your story. Please continue. (laughs) Yes. So I make it like six weeks into the first semester. I'm like, I love history, but whatever I do as a job is going to have to be a lot more active than this because I don't want to sit at a desk. I don't think I want to lecture in an academic setting for the rest of my life. 
so I, you know, went home for Thanksgiving break and I'm talking to my mom. She's like, you should be a doctor. I'm like, it's never occurred to me in my entire life. I don't know why. No one in my family is in medicine. Like nobody I know was in medicine. So I actually called up the doctor that had done my cancer surgery. Um, I was still following up at Hopkins and he agreed to let me come up and shadow, which was wow. amazing of him. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and so I went up and I shadowed and I was like, this is absolutely awesome. Like, I love this. It's science. I get to talk to people. I get to be active. I get to make a difference. It's amazing. So I took this entire left shift, completely withdrew from all of the classes I was enrolled for for the next semester, switched to a biochem major. And it was history from there. All pencilly intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually minor in history though. I love it. I love this subject. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, talk about just getting kind of hit upside the head with something that you didn't even know that you were going to be so passionate about. Yeah. So then next kind of series of questions, what was it like having this childhood dream that had to so suddenly be put on hold, actually like completely abandoned and then to have it come back around? Like what was kind of your mental processing for thinking that you were never going to be able to serve in the military. And then all of a sudden there's this opportunity that must've been quite the emotional, like whiplash back and forth. I was probably the most enthusiastic recruit that guy had ever had. <laughs> I, called him, I called him back and I was just like, Hey, like I, and I've been told before that I wouldn't be physically able to serve. I'd actually taken the ASVAB, which is a, um, kind of a test that you take before you go into the military and I'd done really well on it. And he was able to, to talk to me about that. Um, but yeah, I was like, I will do anything. I called that same surgeon at Hopkins back. Uh, he had actually served in the Navy and said, hey, I really want to serve. I think I can do it. I think I can do this without needing a profile. And he's like, yeah, I think you can too. Like your pre-construction, it's been 15 years. Like there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do anything except for jumped out of a airplane, which I have. I've never needed a long-term profile. Any profile I've ever been on has been short-term for accidents. I've actually never needed a running profile. Um, so yeah, my waiver packet was intense. It was also 2008 at the height of the surge. And I don't know that there were a lot of folks trying to join. So I got lucky in a couple of different ways, <laughs> but I was, I was so excited. I really had wanted to carry on that legacy. I had really wanted to serve and pr like, protect the country. And so the fact that I was able to do that after thinking I wouldn't was so exciting. I didn't tell my family though, for like months until after I'd signed the papers. Really? Yeah. What did they say when you finally told them? They were excited and happy. <laughs> Yay, parents. Gotta love them, right? Yeah. So then without knowing that you can't really talk a, a ton of specifics, um, and I know that it took us quite a bit of time in order to even arrange this recording time because you um, were recently on deployment. What has balancing medicine and your military service, how, how has that kind of changed your life? How has that affected your career? And the answer is, of course, in all ways, pervasively. Um, but what kind of things can you tell us about how that part of your journey has been? I don't know that it's been a balance because they're so intertwined for me. Um, I did my residency at a medical, a military medical facility. So from the very beginning of my career, the two have been together. My deployments have been, because I'm in the medical corps, my deployments are medical. So there's, there's not a separation for me. You know, my first deployment was to Eastern Europe to Camp Bonsteel. And I learned a lot of medicine when I was over there that I then came back and applied at the critical access facility I work at in Texas, because all of a sudden I had six months of experience being the only American physician in a 400 mile radius. Wow. You know, it's, it's 
very, very different. Um, I've been lucky enough that I keep getting sent out on humanitarian missions. So I was in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. I just got back from a humanitarian mission to Guatemala. Um, and again, it's applying the medicine that I learned here in an extremely different environment. And it's been very, very interesting. I mean, it's fascinating to me that you're able to take lessons that you've learned abroad in places that our you know, very American minds tell us would be so completely different from what we have here at home. And as you just said, directly apply them to exactly what you're trying to do medically here at home. There really aren't that very many, many differences other than the way that things look on the news when it comes right down to it. So the biggest difference I think from the career that I would have had if I had been a civilian is I've gotten outside of my bubble a lot more, which I consider to be a very good thing. On most of these missions, I end up as doc, kind of being in charge of and working with uh, groups of usually very young, straight out of AIT, uh, medics and licensed nurse practitioners in a way that I just don't get to do stateside. You know, I get to work one-on-one -on -one with them. I often get to mentor them. In Kosovo, we had, you know, six months that we worked together. And then I got to work with that same group again in Puerto Rico. And I don't think I would have had those experiences outside the military. And that's something that I really treasure about my military career. That is really awesome. So looking from a very, very early age till now, it seems like a lot of your life journey has been kind of this dichotomy of I had a plan and then the plan changed, but it actually turned out better because of it. Yeah. Um, you, before we started uh, recording for this session, you had mentioned that there have been many other instances of very similar times when things didn't go according to plan, but it turned out really well. And especially now, um, as we start a new academic year and we've got a bunch of new interns in our hospital, I think everybody could benefit from the message of, hey, even if it doesn't go according to plan, it'll still work out. So tell us about some more of those instances. So the most obvious, the one that I tell my residents about all the time is coming out of residency, I knew I wanted to do an ultrasound fellowship and I applied and I didn't match. Um, what? Didn't, didn't You're match amazing. What do these programs, they didn't know what they were missing, obviously. There were three military programs and I didn't match any of them. Um, and so I had kind of made my peace with that. And then two or three months later, I get a phone call from a hospital that I had ranked dead last uh, for reasons that were in retrospect, not very good. I didn't know enough about the system to know how amazing it was. So they call me and they're like, hey, like the person we had that had matched here uh, decided to not take the fellowship. You were next up on our list. Would you be willing to move to Texas? And I was like, yep, probably should have checked my husband first. I didn't, unfortunately, he was cool with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up moving to Texas to this program that I know almost nothing about. I had done a phone interview. I hadn't been to this hospital. I think I interviewed here as a med student. Um, and I just took that chance. And I was like, I want to do this fellowship so badly. I'm going to just take this flying leap into the unknown. It worked out really well. It was an incredible ship. I loved the hospital. I stayed on as faculty. I'm now program director for that same fellowship. And it all started with not matching and then my last chance program. Oh my gosh. So I think, right. So when it comes to, I didn't get what I wanted, I didn't get the fellowship match I wanted, you just have to have that open mind and be willing to take the opportunities that come your way. Because sometimes things will work out very well for you in ways that you would have never expected. The other one that I use as an example a lot is I deployed to Kosovo straight out of fellowship. Um, that, that's pretty, pretty typical because your dwell time is really long because you've been a resident and a fellow, so you've never deployed. So straight out of fellowship, I go to Eastern Europe. We were over there for in Kosovo for four and a half months. And Kosovo is really cold. I was away from my family. 
I enjoyed the deployment, but I was, you know, back home after this. And I was like, this is great. I'm back home. I'm not going to deploy again for a while. And I somehow got assigned to this severe weather task force, which I had never heard of. My department chief was like, yeah, this thing hasn't activated since 2005. Like you can just chill here for a while and do some field trainings and stuff. Be a great place for you to like get a little experience, but you're not actually going to go anywhere. I was like, okay, that sounds great. So sure enough, that was the summer that there were all those hurricanes in Houston and then Florida and then Puerto Rico. Right. So I get a phone, I get a phone call, actually got a text from a buddy of mine who was also in the task force at like 7 a.m. on a Friday. He said, check your emails. Like, no, because I'm sure that in my email are deployment orders and I don't have to deal with that if I don't check my email. It's like, that's not very nice. I'm like, I know, going back to sleep. Uh, <laughs> Hey, conscious avoidance <laughs> is a mature coping mechanism. This is what I tell myself on a very consistent basis. <laughs> I knew it was coming. So I was just like, kind of like lying there. And then sure enough, like an hour later, my phone rings and I answer it and it's my brigade commander. And he's like, Captain Myers, you need to be at Fort Benning, which is in Georgia. And I live in Texas and you need to be there by 6 a.m. tomorrow. I'm like, okay, oh my God. can do. Um, so I go wake up my husband and I'm just like, hey, hon, I got to go to base like right now and I got to get a plane ticket and I got to pack all my stuff. And I ended up on a plane. I think I was at Benning by nine the next morning because the flight that I took out was like a first in the morning flight. Uh, and I was in Puerto Rico for six weeks after that. The thing is, I was real, I was so mad about it. I didn't want to go. I had just come back from this deployment. I was leaving my family again. My kids are flipping out. I, I had really little kids at the time. They were three, five and six. But I made this, this this conscious decision on the flight out to Benning that I was gonna do this. And I could either do it and be really angry and mad the whole time, or I could do it and have a positive attitude and know that we were going there to help people and that it was gonna be great. And it ended up being an amazing mission. It's still to date, one of the highlights of my military and my medical career. We, we set up a tent hospital. We treated 6,000 patients. Oh my God. Um, we did critical care. We did amazing things for for the, I think we were open for about five weeks. It was amazing. It was exhausting. I worked 28 straight 12 hour shifts. Um, but like having that attitude going into it, I think really helped. And I was trying to be an example for others because again, we had a lot of um, folks who maybe it was their first deployment. I know I had two nurses with me where it was their very first deployment. And so I tried to set that example of, yep, I get it. It sucks. There's no air conditioning. There's bugs everywhere. There's literally a hole in the ceiling that's raining on us. But hey, like look at all this cool stuff we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yes, this was unexpected. No, nobody really wanted to be here, but come on, look at what we're doing. So trying to have that attitude of, yeah, this isn't what I want to be doing, but it, it's, it's what I am doing. So I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and I'm going to have a good attitude about it. So with all of these twists and turns along the way, and especially still practicing in a, in, in a position of where there is a certain amount of unpredictability to what might happen tomorrow, next week, the week after that, where where do you get your support from? Like wh what kind of support system do you have? What are the people that you, who are the people that you rely on? What does that look like for you? So my husband is for always sure. my biggest support. I have several friends, including friends from residency that I still talk to regularly, particularly about cases where I feel like, Hey, I need a little bit of emotional support. I have a therapist who is a lovely woman, uh, who I've talked to particularly during COVID about the I'm going to call it moral injury and not burnout because I think that's the better term mm -hmm. uh, that is just inherent in practicing medicine in our system. And then of course, colleagues at work who are always up to hear about whatever it is that I've worked up about that day, which is usually something. Moral injury is very real. Um, and I really appreciate you using that specific phrasing because I too buy into the sense that, you know, this is not 
burnout. This isn't a, we hate our jobs. This is a, our jobs hate us. And uh, we're being put into positions where we never could have imagined ourselves um, happy to practice in. So unfortunately, as we draw just a little bit short on time, and I'm already kind of planning on asking you back for a part two, uh, just because I still have so many questions. Um, as we draw to an end of our time, uh, I'd like to ask you, what kind of advice would you give somebody if they were in your shoes way back at the beginning of all of this? Um, specifically, what advice would you give anybody who is seeking to do what you are doing right now and melding that military service with medicine? What do you wish you would have known? I would say if anyone is interested in, in taking the HPSB scholarship or in joining the military as a physician, that you need to understand that there is a dichotomy, that you are a military officer as well as a physician. And if you're not willing to embrace both halves of the job, then you're probably going to be fairly miserable. The scholarship is amazing. I have no regrets. I actually signed up after my time to pay back the scholarship was over for additional time in the military because I really enjoy it. I love what I do. But it means that sometimes my job is to be a doctor and sometimes my job is to be Major Myers. And that comes with a different set of obligations and expectations. And I enjoy that. The military forces me out of my comfort zone a lot. And while at the time that's extremely unpleasant, I think over the years, it's really helped me. You asked about balance. I don't know that I even think of it as balance. I just think of myself as being Dr. Myers and Major Myers in one body. And at any given time, I might be flipping between those two personalities, but they're both there and they're both important to me. And I enjoy doing both jobs. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your amazingly difficult, <laughs> busy schedule um, in order to chat with us and share, us and share with us a little bit more about your journey. Um, Dr. Myers, thank you. Uh, and I'm already in hoping and looking forward to the next time that we get a chat again. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been really fun. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.